Welcome back to the Developer Tribe, everyone, and a big thank you for taking the time to listen. This podcast delves into the processes and practices of coaches, educators, and beyond, offering their insight and giving us cause to reflect. Thank you for being here, however you got here. And with that, let's jump in. My guest today is Joe Quigley, an NCS engagement coordinator and coaching mentor with his company, Joe Quigley Coaching. Joe spent nine years out in the US coaching soccer and on returning to the UK, decided to redirect his attention to -to one-to-one work with young people needing extra support. Joe has a number of other projects on the go, including his own podcast, Talking Mental Health. I met Joe whilst coaching in the US, let's say a while ago, and I'm glad to have stayed in touch with a thoughtful and compassionate practitioner. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, great to have you here. Tell us about your journey to where you are at the moment as an NCS engagement coordinator. Uh, Long journey. Like you said, when I left college, I went out to the States. That was kind of the start of my professional career. Wasn't really a thing that I had much expectation of at the time. It was just a case of, look, I want to get away. I want to try something different. I want to experience a new country, a new culture, different people, get away from home for a bit. Um, try and grow up a little bit. I didn't. I, I chose not to go to uni after I left college. I uh, I wouldn't say I was a great student. I was more of a hands-on kind of person. So I wanted to go out and work and learn about myself in in another country. Uh, that was my uni experience. So that initial nine-month contract that I signed up for turned into nine years. Um, that makes it sound very simplistic. It wasn't as simplistic as that, but you know that was my sort of twenties you know left left college at 19 went out to the states went back and forth a couple of times and then ended up doing five years full-time and then left in the summer of 2016 came back to England and uh, yeah when I came back I, you know I, I, I still wanted to do coaching but I mean you know yourself what football coaching is like in this country it's quite a fickle business it's quite a, a tough business to break into in in terms of you know coaching full-time and earning the money that I was earning in the States wasn't really possible. So I kind of had to redirect my thinking a little bit away from just, just football coaching. Um, you know, at the time when we moved back here, my wife had to apply for a visa to come because she's Colombian. So there was a kind of cloud over me in the sense that I had to be earning a certain salary uh, to make that application possible. So I, I applied for so many jobs. I can't even tell you how many jobs I applied for. It was that many. I couldn't even have a guest. I'd probably say over 200 jobs in about six months wow. just to get my feet under the table, to get myself a salary where I could then apply for Kelly's visa. And that actually ended up driving me towards NCS. I had a friend who worked for NCS at the time and he was telling me about it and how much it involved young people and you know growth and the community and the personal development and stuff like that. And I thought it sounded interesting. So I was lucky enough to find a job within NCS within Manchester, which was close to home. So kind of took it. And that was my, the start of my NCS journey. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm still involved in it to this day. I think it is a fantastic program. You get to meet so many amazing young people and take them on this journey from, you know, a space to, to a, a point further in time. You know, it's um, it's something that I enjoy doing, working with young people. You know, I, I started working with kids when I was about 14 or 15 at a local youth club that was associated with my primary school. And ever since then, you know, coaching football in the States, coming back here, doing NCS, and now sort of working towards 
personal development and one-to-one with young people. That's a very short version of how I got to where I'm at today. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a, a winding road for for so many of us. And so, t- tell us a little bit more about what NCS is and what that looks like for the young people. Yeah, so NCS is a, a national program that was run well set up by the government in 2009. It was a project of David Cameron's before he became prime minister. And he kind of rolled it out. And the idea was to just to create a bigger community, you know, bring young people together from different backgrounds to, to understand each other and, and just to, to learn together and to grow. Um, you know, I think the first year they ran it in London as one pilot project and it was very small. And that's now grown over, what, 11 years to over half a million young people have taken part. Um, since I started, it's kind of changed slightly. You know, it's, it's, it's always adapting. It was... When I was doing it in Manchester, we ran a four-week program in the summer, um, and then we used to run October half-term program and a February half-term program. Um, the company I'm doing it with now, they run a three-week program, so they've kind of shortened it a little bit, but it still has all the same elements to it. So it's an activity week where they get to do some team building stuff, get to know some people they may never meet you know, at school or outside of school or outside of NCS. So it's kind of bringing young people together. So that that is a great way to start, You know, just throwing them into all these outdoor activities you know rope climbing tree climbing caving raft building whatever you want to you know whatever you want to call it so many different activities just just breaks the ice you know just get some talking and get some thinking um without putting without it being too awkward you know rather than just sitting down in a circle and oh hi i'm this person you know it's a fun way of doing it um and then the second week is a skills-based week so they get to learn some stuff you know first aid public speaking things they may not necessarily do at school or college, but they will, they'll, they'll need going forward or they'll find useful at some point. And then the end of the program is social action where they do a local pro, well, project in their local community, you know, raising awareness for something, raising money for something, doing something that is going to benefit people in the area that they live uh, long-term, which is, you know, it's a good, it's a good deal. So yeah, I, I like it. You know, it's a good program. I'm, like I said, I've been involved with it for, it'll be about three and a half years now. Um, but for me, it, it's about seeing that development of young people, you know, going from the point where they turn up and they don't know anyone to the end of three or four weeks where they've got 10 to 15, 20 new mates, you know, and then six months later, you see them all out, you know, at a, at a park or in a traffic center or wherever they're at, you know, and they didn't even know each other. So it just gives young people the opportunity to come together and do something a little bit different. And it's not awkward. Yeah, it sounds like a brilliant program and a, and a good fit for you. If I was to be fortunate enough to come shadow you for that couple of weeks, you know, how would I describe you know what you do uh, in those moments to really support those young people? Um, mentor, leader, coach, um, facilitator. There's so many different names you could put on the umbrella. Um, you know, safeguarding officer, um, a listening ear you know somebody to talk to somebody to facilitate a group somebody you know th- th- there's different job roles that, that kind of people sign up for there's coordinators there's group leaders there's group assistants or team leaders team assistants but within those titles you, you are doing so many other things um for the young people so it's a it's, it's a learning experience for the young people but it's all a, it's also a learning experience for the staff as well you know the amount of stuff that you go through on that three or four week program and you come out of it thinking, wow, yeah, I never thought of a situation like that, or I wouldn't, I would have maybe never dealt with something like that. So it's it's a good eye opener for young people. But I think, you know, from my point of view as well, I can, I've probably met two to three hundred people through NCS. 
that I still am in contact with, you know, different members of staff that I've worked with over different programs, different people that I've worked with in Manchester and then in, in Worcester where I'm based now. So yeah, it's great for the young people, but on a personal level, it, it's been great for me too, because it's kind of helped me grow my network back in the UK that I didn't really have when I came back from the States. Yeah, that's fantastic. So there, there clearly would have been some some skills and uh, abilities from your time as a football coach that you brought into that role. What kinds of things do you, did you have to learn quickly on your feet to be able to be successful in that role? In NCS? Yeah. Um, NCS is a funny thing because you're, working, you're not working with kids, really. You're working with, you know, young adults. They're, they're year 11 or year 12. So, you know, my background essentially in the States was predominantly working with younger players. Sort of, you know, initially when I went out, I was doing sessions with three, four and five-year-olds and just making sure it was a fun environment. You know, then working with under eights, under nines, under tens, all the way up to under 12s. You know, there was a bit of coaching with older players as well, but predominantly it was younger players. So just adapting to how life as a teenager was when I started NCS was very different to how life as a teenager was for me 16 years ago. When I started NCS, I was 30. So I was working with 15 and 16 year olds in this country for the first time. And it was just a, a quick learning experience because their life is very different to what it was for you and I growing up at that age. And... I think, you know, having been away from the UK for so long, I wouldn't say I lost touch, but it was just very different to what I was used to out in the States. So just, yeah, adapting to what it was that young people needed. You know, I didn't want to go in there and say, right, this is how it has to be because that's not who I am. You know, I'm a big believer in letting young people have a voice and letting them think for themselves and explore the world because that's how I did it. No one taught me how to go about life. So who am I to say that this is how they have to do it? So for me, it was just a, a case of listening and trying to understand was it what it what it was that they were looking for, not just from NCS, but from the next two or three years going off to college and then into university. You know, what was that journey going to entail for them, and how could I support even just for three or four weeks? You know, just to be one, just one person in a in a cog, you know, a cog. Sorry, I didn't even say that right, did I? But like, you know, you know what I mean, like one person, one cog in a wheel of. Uh, you know, probably a thousand adults that they would deal with over their, let's say, 15 to 19 years old ages. So just having a positive impact on them and, and understanding that I'm not there to change their life per se, but I'm there to just give them some guidance and some support and just offer something that it is that they're looking for. And it's, it's different for every teenager. Some of them came just to get away from home for a couple of weeks. Some of them came to put something on their CV. Some of them came to meet new people. Some of them came because their parents wanted them to go. So every kid who comes on NCS has a different reason for being there and they also have a different need when they're there as well. So just adapting to different people on the program was, was a big thing for me. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's interesting. And, and so much of you know, the people that I talk to within coaching roles, within youth roles, it's about that knowledge of the, the, the person, knowledge of the player, and then adapting mm -hmm. our um, gambit of, techniques and actions as a result of that you have a program called team talk what, what was the the gap you noticed for the reason why you put that program together um team talk was just i can't remember the, the initial idea and where it came from but sort of you know working on ncs and i was still doing a bit of coaching here at the time as well having conversations with 15 16 17 year olds they were I guess the vibe they were given was that 
you know, in, in school, they're constantly being told what to do and how to think. In you know, when they go home, they try and talk to parents, but parents struggle to relate to what it is that they're going through. So the idea was to bring teenagers together to, to talk about common issues. That was the, the general gist of it. Um, you know, giving them a safe space where they can come and come together and, and just have a conversation about whatever it is that they want to talk about, where nobody's going to judge them, nobody's going to tell them that's right or that's wrong. It's just a space for them to vent, to peer support each other, to understand that, hey, we're all different, but we're all going through similar things. And it was just a way to make them feel comfortable talking about things that aren't necessarily comfortable to talk about with parents or with guidance counselors or pastoral leads at school, you know, just relating to each other in a way that says, okay, yeah, I'm struggling. Oh yeah, I'm struggling. I've been through that too. I understand what you're saying because, you know, teenagers understand what, what it is that teenagers are going through. We understand what it is that adults go through, but sometimes we don't necessarily, you know, we can understand and we can listen, but it's hard to relate to a 16 year old as a 32 year old or a 33 year old. So it was just a space for them to come and talk to each other or have someone with a bit of experience who could facilitate the conversation or guide the conversation or probe with a particular question at a time to get somebody to open up a little bit more. Yeah, it's uh, being able to have that distance from their other parts of their lives where they, they might feel, and then, you know, teens often feel like they have to almost perform in those environments, that they're expected to behave in a certain way, to then have that opportunity to speak so candidly know that they're not going to be shot down um, and that the people around them are experiencing those same things. It sounds so valuable in terms of developing social awareness of others, but also just, just knowing that others are going through the same problems. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly for myself as a teenager, I, I felt very insular with some of the things that I was going through and never really felt like I had an opportunity to speak to others. I probably did have those opportunities, but I definitely didn't see it that way. So to have someone like yourself facilitating that for, for these teenagers, it just sounds like such a, a, a positive space for them. Um, it, amongst all of this youth work, you, you do work with uh, adults and as a coach and a mentor. Are there, are there similarities to those roles or is it vastly different? Um, a bit of both. I think there are, there are a lot of similarities in the sense that everybody wants to talk about something. Everybody's dealing with something, whether it's a minor thing or a major thing, everybody wants to talk. But I think the biggest thing for me that I've learned over the last probably couple of years since I've been back home, especially, and as I've grown up as a person is the, the skill of just listening to someone. You know, I think a lot of people now want to give their opinion and they want to be right all the time, which is fine. But for me, you have to, there has to come a point where you stop talking and you just listen. You know, you don't need to give your opinion. You don't need to give your experience or your feedback or, oh, this is how you should have done it. Or this is how I would have dealt with it. You know, cause you might be going through something that I've never been through. And all you want to do is talk about it and just get a little bit of support. Um, so that was one similarity that I found not only from young people, but from adults as well. They just want a space where they can go and talk about something and it might make them feel a quarter better than they did before they they started the conversation. But if that little bit helps, then that's that's a positive in my eyes. Um, I guess one of the one of the big differences was, you know, the the the, the kind of 
I don't like to say it sometimes, but young people are so focused on social media that they think there's a certain way to live based on what they see online. Whereas adults, because they've had that experience of, you know, they're, they're a little bit older. For example, someone like myself, I'm 33, so I didn't grow up with a phone in my hand. I didn't grow up with all these different social media sites where I could go on and see how this person was living or what that person was doing or how successful my idol is, etc. So, you know, when you talk to young people and they want to, they want to talk about how they feel under pressure based on what it is that they see day to day. They consume so much that they can't really process it because their, their brain's not fully formed yet. So they're struggling to understand why this person posts that or why they live a certain way. Whereas when you talk to an adult, obviously because they're older, they have that understanding. So for them, it's more, it's more personal. They want to take a step forward. They want to understand why they're struggling with a particular thing, or they want to understand what it is that they're not, but, you know, not, not necessarily missing, but what it is that they're looking to achieve, you know, so taking that step forward into a space where they feel more fulfilled, I think would be the best way to describe it. Whereas teenagers don't necessarily want to feel fulfilled. They want to feel heard. Um, so it's, yeah, again, it, it, every person's different. You know, I could have two adults that say the same thing, but feel about it. Differently. You know, two, two teenagers that, are going through a very similar thing, but dealing with it in very different ways that works for them. So, you know, as a coach and as a, as a mentor, I'm not the kind of person that will say, oh, this is how you have to deal with it. I'm more about well, how, what works best for you as a person. How are you dealing with it? Is it, if you tried that and it didn't work, well, what else can you try? You know, so it's, it's not a case of me giving my opinion and telling people how to live their lives. You know, I'm not about that. All I'm, all I'm there to do is to listen, to ask some questions that they may not necessarily have either thought about or asked themselves and then just kind of facilitate a conversation and give them as much support as they can, as they need. And it may be two or three sessions. It may be 10. It just depends on the person, what they're going through and how much support they're looking for. It's a really excellent description. And, and clearly I, I hasten maybe not to call it active listening. Um, but, but that is, you know, one of the descriptions of, of that kind of behavior. How, how do you, mm develop those skills i mean it's clear ever since i've known you it's clear that you you know you have some of those sort of natural affinities for this type of role but uh, clearly you've worked hard on it as well so, so tell us a little bit about that journey and how you've developed those skills that you see is so important mm, it's funny you mention it actually because i'm quite an introverted person i'm not a big talker i never have been um you know even now and when i was younger i would always sit and observe i would always watch to see what was going on, you know, and try and make up my own mind about a certain situation. But I never realized how bad I was at listening until a couple of years ago. You know, I think everybody thinks they're a really good listener. And then all of a sudden something happens and you just think, I'm not even listening. I'm just, you know, I'm hearing what's being said, but I'm not physically taking it in and I'm not absorbing what's being said. Or I'm thinking about my response as they're talking rather than hearing what they're saying and just letting it be. And that was one thing I learned when I started into personal coaching, one-to-one coaching, live coaching, whatever you want to call it, um, learning how to listen to what somebody was saying without actually thinking what I'm going to say next and just letting it be. So if a client is sitting opposite me and they're talking about a particular subject or a scenario, rather than me trying to put myself in their shoes into that scenario or being distracted by something within the room, just really focusing on what they're saying, 
and also trying to listen for things that they're not actually saying. And that, at first, that was really hard to do because as a human, when somebody talks, the first thing you want to do is respond. And that was my initial instinct was to just respond or reply or give advice or, oh yeah, I know what you're saying because I've been there and put myself in their position. Whereas, you know, learning, it's not really about you. When you're coaching one-to-one, it's, it's about the client. It's about the person who you're sitting opposite or next to. So it, it was tough. It really was. It, it's really tough to just sit and listen while somebody continues to talk and even to hold a space. When there is a pause and there's a silence, you know, just letting that silence linger and then waiting is it my turn to respond or are they just thinking and i'm just giving them that space to think and then you know one thing i I remember a guy i did a coaching um program with recently online and i asked him the question i said how long do you let a silence linger for and he said let it linger for as long as it needs to linger because the person who is you know they might just be taking a pause and restructuring a sentence they might be just taking time to maybe eliminate something that they don't really want to say and that's kind of what you're waiting for and he said if they are finished talking and they're waiting for you to respond they'll tell you you know you don't have to interject at any point and say are you done do you want me to you know they'll say if you know if they they stop talking like i'm going to stop talking now and that pause just lingers let it linger and then when they're ready to get a response or you're ready to give the next question then you can go ahead and give it but yeah, it, it, it was interesting. You, you go from thinking you're a really, really good listener to all of a sudden thinking, actually, I've not been listening. I've just been hearing things. <laughs> uh, of course, there's a, a, a paradox, isn't there? Of, of Once you become aware of that, the more conscious you are of it, the, the less likely you are to be picking up and noticing those those things that actually you want to be responding to. So it's a, it's a real dilemma for people that work in these in these spaces. Once when they're trying to develop that, I was going to say as well with with younger people, especially teenagers, but all of them, you, you, when you're dealing with something that's a little bit harder of a social or emotional nature or behavior nature, and you ask them the question, you're trying to point them towards, uh, you know, perhaps a more uh, adaptive behavior, a more pro-social behavior. They'll often have a bash first to see if they can kind of get away with whatever it is that they've said. And so often I'll say to coaches, well, just stay quiet. Like if you, if you notice that they're trying to get away with it, you can see on their face, you can tell by the way that they've said it. If you're just quiet, as you described, they'll know that that's not flying, that it, they're not getting away with it. And they'll have another go. And the second attempt will be so much closer uh, and so much more honest than that, that first attempt that they've had there. Yeah. And, it's funny you mention that because part of the coaching training that I've done was if you, if you ask somebody a question, whether it's a simple question or a difficult question, generally their first answer is sort of a surface level answer. It's not a deeper answer. It's just a simple answer. How can I answer this question and get it out of the way and move on to the next one? But if you ask a question, you get a response and then ask the same question, you'll get a different answer. And if you ask it a third time, you'll get a deeper answer. So that was one thing that I never really thought about when I was coaching football, you know, the, when, when you, when you learn, you know, when you go through your coaching badges, ask questions, get them to think a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Ask a question. But I, we, 
I mean, personally, I was never taught to ask the same question three times. You know, so that that was something really interesting that I found in this coaching development is just, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, I'm struggling. Yeah, you know, you're going to get a different answer. People just want to, it's almost like a baseball, you know, they throw the ball, you, you bat it away and that's it. You're on to the next one. Whereas, you know, if you stay at the pitch and you get three pitches, you're going to either hit it, miss it, hit it. You, you know what I mean? So that was really interesting to me. That, I think those are the two biggest things I've learned about myself over the last couple of years. One, I need to be a better listener. And two is not just accepting a first answer for what it is, trying to go a little bit deeper if there's more that I'm trying to get out of it, but also if I'm working with someone and they're giving me, you know, the standard surface answers, I'm fine. It's okay. No big deal. But really, how is it, you know, and just, and just getting them to open up. It's tough and it, it is a skill, but it can be learned. Yeah. One, one of those moments then where you're working with people and you notice in yourself that you're not really properly paying attention. Um, how, how do you, navigate that how do you kind of re switch the button go back to a place where you you are then able to to really pay attention to what's happening in front of you um i'm a big self-critic or i used to be um and after i would do a coaching session you know as the kids are walking off the pitch i used to stand there and think did that go well or did it just go how i thought it would go or could it have gone a lot better was it terrible you know and i kind of i wouldn't say i graded myself but i would i would think to myself that went okay, but it could have gone a lot better. You know, that was, yeah, that was a good session. I really enjoyed that, but it could have gone better. I, I've always wanted, not to be perfect because I don't like that word, but I've always wanted it, everything better than it has been. So for example, if I think, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a decent listener. That means I'm probably three out of 10, maybe four out of 10. And if I am selling a product where I'm telling people that I can help them grow and develop. I can't be a three or a four out of 10. I have to be a 10 out of 10 every single time. I'm not going to be a 10 out of 10 every single time, but if I put myself in a position where I can give the best of myself for the person that I'm working with, I'm giving them value for money, but I'm also helping them as an individual. I'm not selling them short. You know, I, I, I don't think that's right. And you know, there, there used to be distractions, big distractions, my phone was a huge one. You know, even just having my phone in my pocket would distract my mind. And I might be, you know, I never take my phone into a, a session with a client or into a talk or into, you know, team talk, for example. But I used to have my phone nearby. Even when I was coaching football, I would always have it in my bag on the side of the pitch. And I'd probably say, looking back now, I was probably giving myself 80% to the players and 20% was thinking, have I got a text? Have I got a notification? Have I got an email? Am I missing a call? Whereas now, if I go to a session with a client, I'll leave my phone in the car. I don't need it in a session. What do I need it for? You know, what, what, what am I missing in, in an hour that can't wait till I'm done with this person who's paying for my time and is paying for my expertise and my knowledge and my listening and whatever else they're paying for? They're not paying for me to to give them 80%. They want 100% of my attention, so I'm going to give it to them. And, you know, the phone was a simple one because it's always there. But the things I was, t I used to be, like I said before, I was a, I was, I was a pretty, I was a decent student. And, it, and again, I was probably a five out of 10, let's say. And even now, you know, I'm a big, 
window out. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a window looker. Like if, if there's a window in a room, I will look out of it every now and again. Not because I'm bored, not because I don't care about the person I'm in the room with or anything like that. My personality type, I'm an adventurer. I want to go places. I want to see things. I want to meet people. So like that's kind of my way of, okay, I'm just sat watching TV. But if I look out the window, I'm looking to be somewhere else, you know? So now I have this thing where if I work with someone and I can sit in a place where the window is behind me, then all my focus is on them. If I'm sat looking at them and the window's behind them or the window's to my left, every once in a while, I might just have a little glance. And again, it's only a small thing, but it's taking my focus away from what it is that I should actually be doing. So just little things, tiny little things that you don't even think about before you get into a place where you actually need to think about them make a big difference. That's fascinating. And, and, and clearly you spent so much time getting to know yourself, having that self-awareness and, and, it was interesting speaking to Esme Gulluk some time ago on this podcast, uh, speaking to people for my research and how often they say that that self-awareness is so key to them being able to really support the people that we're working with. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's great to hear you talk in those terms. I'm really interested in, because you're doing so many different things, they're all in the same space, but you're doing many different projects. I'm really interested in how you navigate between them. Not, not literally, but mentally, how, how do you, you know, we talk about putting on different hats, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there'll be similarities in these roles, of course, but there will be differences that you have to set up in a slightly different way. What does that look like for you? To be honest, I, I try and, so I've always tried to keep working home as two separate things. I always have. And it's been hard this year because obviously lockdown, the way things are, work and home are now one place. You know, I was always of the opinion that work is out there and home is here. This is where I relax. This is where I spend time with family and my wife. And, you know, this is where I just completely switch off. But now I've had to almost rethink that thinking because it's not possible at the moment. And, you know, I've always tried to, like I said, keep home and work as two different things. But now, that they are almost one and the same. And to be honest, like I'm not a different person when I go to work as I am when I'm at home, I'm the same person. So now I've kind of had to readjust that thinking of stop trying to be two different people and be work Joe and home Joe. You're you're just Joe. You go to work, you you spend time at home, et cetera. So it was, it was almost a learning experience of not, not almost bringing those two different people together and realizing that, okay, even if I'm coaching a young person, or if I'm working with an adult or a group of adults or a group of young people or I'm coaching a football team, I'm still the same person no matter what I'm doing. So there was kind of that, I guess, realization that I don't need to be different people to serve others. I can be the same person. I can, yeah, I can adapt slightly. I might talk to young people very differently than I would talk to, for example, if I was doing a coaching session with yourself. You know, my vocab would be different. My mannerisms would be different. But deep down, I'm still the same person. My values are still the same. You know, who I am doesn't change based on who I'm working with. So I guess to to go back to the question, it was, again, like you said, learning about self. I used to think that I had to be different people depending on who I was working with. I don't have to be different people. I just have to be my authentic self to, to, to everybody because that's how they can connect with me. And if people don't connect with me, that's fine. You know, I don't, I'm not going to connect with everybody. Everybody's going to like me and the way I talk and the way I do things. And 
that's one thing I have learned over the years. I always used to be a people pleaser and I thought everybody had to like me because that's just how I thought, you know, but as you grow up and you start to mature a little bit, you realize that you're not for everybody and I'm okay with that now. I, I never used to be, but now I am. And if somebody wants to work with me, great. I will give them hundred percent of myself. If they don't want to work with me, that's fine. I have no issues with that. I'm not going to go chasing people and tell them that they need coaching because I, oh, I saw you post on social media that you're really struggling. I have to help you. You have to pay me to help you. I'm not about that. You know, if somebody wants something and they need support, I'm always here and I'm always available to listen and I'm not going to change who I am based on the person I'm working with. I'm going to be my authentic self. And if that's not for everybody, then I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so often the strength of that relationship will be far greater if someone comes to you seeking that support in a genuine way and mm -hmm. you're, you're automatically onto a bit more of a winner uh, because they're coming at it from, from a, a point of view where they genuinely are after that support. Uh, still, there'll still be people that say they are and then aren't. Uh, but you know, it, it reminds me of some experiences of being a coach educator and, you know, within those spaces, there's almost a performance going on between, between both myself and what I think a coach educator needs to look like. And then the, the, the people on, on the course uh, and, and what they think I need to see. And it's really about breaking down those barriers. And I, I fully uh, believe in and, and agree with you that the more authentic I can be and the more humble I can be in those moments the more likely I am to, to break down those barriers and have a much better relationship with those people and ultimately be more successful. Um, yeah, and just just on that point, you know, when you work with young people, if you're not your authentic self, they will see right through you. If you <laughs> pretend to be something you're not or you tell them something that isn't true, they'll pick up on it so quick and they will call you out on it and they will, they may not say it, but they won't trust you because they don't believe that you're being true to them. So... Why should they give you what it is that you're pretending to be? You know, the young, young people get a bad rep that they're daft and they're, they're outlandish and they're crazy and they're bullish and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, young people are smart. They're not stupid. They can pick up on things, you know, and, and if you go in there and pretend to be something you're not, they will call you out on it or they will just completely switch off from you because they're just not getting the real you. Yeah, really, really good point. I do have one last question for you. If you were to choose one person to have an audience with, who would it be? That's a great question. That's tough because there are so many people that I look up to. Um, I think just, I think because of the journey that I'm on at the moment and the space that I'm in, I think oh, I've got two names in my head and I'm, I'm hesitating which one to pick. So I'm going to give you both. And then I'll pick one in a minute when I'm giving you my reason. <laughs> okay. So, right. so the, the first one, you know, anyone who knows me, I'm a big football fan. I love football. I'm a big Man United fan. Alex Ferguson to me was just, he was almost like a God as I, growing up. And not because he coached my favorite football team or because he won trophies and all that sort of stuff. I, I think it's now that I'm older, I appreciate the leader that he was. I appreciate what he did for the players that he had under his management. Um, you know, having read a couple of his books and just watch videos and listen to him talk on interviews and stuff. He, he's just a normal guy from a place in Scotland. 
upbringing and made the most of the situation. Um, so, yeah, I, I think talking to him about leadership and dealing with people would be a great conversation. Um, and the other name I've got in my mind is Tony Robbins. Um, Tony Robbins, some people know him, some people don't, some people love him, some people don't. Um, you know, he, he was kind of the first person I saw in the coaching space away from a pitch that I thought, you know what, I love what he does and I want to do that as well. Um, he had a, a documentary on Netflix called, I think it was called I'm Not Your Guru that I saw probably three years ago now. And I just watched it and it was amazing to me how he, you know, he transformed people and he just helped people. And that kind of really, I really connected with that because I feel like that's the kind of person I am. I like to help people. I like to support people. So between those two. Um, that's tough. It is tough. It's really tough. Um, yeah. I, I think. <laughs> Are you going to make me pick or can I just take two? I, well, <laughs> just like everyone else, no, no one sticks to one. So I suppose I have to let you, let you do it. I just, I'm just imagining that, that round table where there's yourself and, and those two and trying to get a word in edgeways. Uh, you know through, what? Through I, I probably wouldn't get a word in and, and it probably wouldn't bother me. Just listening to those two have conversation. I, I'd be quite happy just to sit there for five hours, eat some food, drink some water and just listen to those two talk and, and take notes and just, that would be that would be almost a dream come true. If if it was to ever happen, I expect an invite. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And like I say, if anyone wants to reach out, please do. Uh, I'll make sure that you have access to uh, contact for Joe. And uh, yeah, once again, thank you so much. My pleasure, mate. Appreciate you having me on. That's it for episode eight with Joe Quigley. His details are in the description should you want to reach out to him and follow his work on social media channels. The music you are listening to is by BB Phoenix. And once again, thank you for taking the time to listen. And I look forward to having you back here next week.